be seated for a moment this morning, church. You know, as we were singing that, as a faith family, every January we normally go into a time of prayer and fasting and seeking the direction of the Lord for our ministry and for our personal lives in this brand new year. In January, we knew that was the thing to do because it, we've been doing that for several since the existence of the church and for four or five years now. And uh, it just, man, the more we talked about it, it just didn't feel right. Uh, it felt like we were doing it because we know every January we fast. I don't know if uh, fasting in January has become a pretty popular trend now in Christian circles, so I don't know if that was part of it I was struggling with, uh, that we just didn't want it to be, we're just doing this to do it. But we want to seek the Lord, and so, uh, man, we didn't do that in January, and just ever since then I've been asking the Lord. Now, Lord, I know that last year a lot of the God, God-sized miracles that we walked through was a direct result of us really seeking you. And... Uh, Man, we're on the brink of some great opportunities as a faith family. And uh, May is a, is a month to believe in. Uh, May is a month of new opportunities. A lot will be happening. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be uh, doing the building project here uh, on our building, the addition out front to expand our foyer and some children's ministry areas. However, in our vision for the first of the year that we laid out with you going, if we went deeper, God would take us wider. One of those components was placing a building next door that would be a, uh, a children's ministry building for just our children. God is blessing our children's ministry in a, in a God-sized kind of way. I mean, I mean, Wednesday nights, this thing is wall-to-wall with children. And uh, inner-city children, uh, just children from all over the city, God's doing a great work. And uh, we're, we're so excited about that. And uh, however everything dealing with fire marshals and all that it really started complicating that process financially for us and it just seemed like God's been pushing that kind of out of out of our reach financially and so uh, we're in, we know we're going to do this expansion but uh, we know that's not going to be enough and so we just really need to be seeking the Lord on that and uh, need to be seeking the Lord on our, our project we made a commitment that we would do that expansion debt free we're almost there we're over two-thirds of the way, and uh, we have this new children's ministry opportunity. We're, we've been praying, asking the Lord to free, please bring us the, the new staff member uh, that God has in store for us with the transitioning of Pastor Matt to Memphis and his family, and we've been asking the Lord, God, now is the time. We believe that this is the time that God wants to raise up a soul-winning uh, youth pastor, children's pastor, and so, man, we've just been desperately seeking the Lord on that, um, and there's just a lot of opportunities. Our church in Peru is uh, in the process of trying to complete the uh, financial documentation for them to be a legally recognized campus by the country of Peru. That still has hurdles that it has to cross. And uh, we were bringing on, hopefully, our vision this year was hopefully that we could bring on six college interns. Right now, we have two or three that are for sure uh, are, are going to partner with us. That presents uh, challenges in itself. Uh, for places for them to stay. We're still believing in the Lord for some host homes for that. We're praying for the areas of the city that these college students will be investing their lives day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And uh, I'm going to tell you, church, this is your pastor. Uh, now's the season. And so I want you to begin to pray over the next couple of weeks. What is What does it look like for you? You know, I could say, okay, we're all going to do 
21-day uh, Daniel fast. That's what we normally do. There was a 21-day Daniel fast. There was a 10-day Daniel fast. There's, there's all kind of fasting in the Bible. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll have an opportunity. We'll talk about those different types of fasts. But here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you, would you seek the Lord personally about what it looks like for you? What does it look like for you? It's part of our body. It's part of our family. This is our season. We have God-sized opportunities that we cannot accomplish in our human ability. We need a word from God. That's just corporately. Many of you need a word from God personally. You're entering into new seasons in your life. You're entering into new jobs or, or new relationships or new or moving into the, the college area for the first time in your life and you're seeking the direction of the Lord. I believe that this is the season that we're to be desperate about a word from God. What does it mean to be desperate? It means you'll do whatever it takes. The first time I ever learned a lesson on what it meant to really be desperate was by one of my mentors. He went to visit this guy who was about to, he was a couple of mortgage payments behind on his home. And uh, the guy said, man, I'll help you. He said, but here's what we can do. You can help yourself. He had a 60-inch television up on the wall. He said, man, I tell you what, we can sell that television. And, uh, man, that'll make at least one, one of your payments. And then he went in the other room, and there was something else there. And he said, we could sell that, and uh, we can make that other payment for you, you know, connecting the dots. And, and he went through this house, and that guy said, oh, man, I, I can't get rid of my TV. I can't get rid of that. I can't get rid of it. He said, well, you're not desperate. When you're desperate for help, you'll do whatever it takes. Family, I want you to know today as your pastor, I'm desperate. I'm desperate to see a God-sized movement in our city. We are praying over our city. We are working that area strategically. We believe that we can impact our city for the cause of Christ. And we're going to pull out all the stops, do whatever it takes to penetrate our city with the good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need Him now. Amen? We sure do need Him now. It's the day, it's the hour. I want to ask you as your pastor, would you begin to pray about what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? It's personal. It's personal. I want you to begin to pray and say, Lord, what does it look like for me? I want to see you move. I need some answers to prayers. I want to see your power and your presence in my life. Let's pray about that this morning. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we exalt your name. God, for who you are, Father, for what you're doing. Lord, I pray right now, God, that we would be desperate for you. Father, as a faith family, Lord, this is the hour. This is the season. God, you have brought us to this place. For such a time as this. God, we do not embrace it with a heavy heart. We do not embrace it with a spirit of being overwhelmed, God. But we embrace this season with an optimistic heart, with an optimistic eye, believing in, clinging in, relying on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your plans are not our plans, that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are not our thoughts. Thank you, God, that your destiny for our life is bigger than we are. God, it hadn't even entered into our thoughts, Lord, the thing that you have in store for us. Now, I pray in Jesus' name that you would individually begin to give direction for us as a faith family.
God, that we would be desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing a little bit more of that chorus this morning. I'm desperate for you. Amen. Would you worship with us, church? Worship him with all your heart. I'm desperate for you. Oh, lift your voice. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated today, family. Praise the Lord for what He's doing. Praise the Lord for what He's up to. Amen. It's great to have you here today. What an exciting privilege. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. If it's your first time here, we want you to relax and get a word from God. Amen. That's the most important thing today is that you can hear from the Lord because God has a word for you today. We've been going through our sermon series and uh, it's called The Rebellion. And what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. And we know that we're not just rebelling against something, but we're rebelling for something. What is that? For the power and the presence of God on our lives. That we would be willing to do whatever it takes to see God do a, a great and mighty work in our hearts and our lives. If you have your Bible today, if you'll take it and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. An awesome passage of scripture here for us this morning. And God has a great word for us, and so I want to share this with us today. This message uh, made its way into our, our, uh, our sermon series, um, not by destiny. The Lord kind of inputted it here along the journey uh, as we're nearing the end of this sermon series on the rebellion. And uh, um, it, it really came into existence as I've been watching the news. And uh, I've been watching the video clips of the bombing in Boston. And I'm watching these two young men that had their whole future in front of them. That when they were born, God had an awesome plan for their life. And His plan was not for them to become murderers, terrorists, uh, disgruntled young people, whatever you want to call them. And uh, however, our life gets sidetracked so much. And one of the videos that was really gripping, as you know, there's been millions of pictures of these guys that have flooded into the FBI and video footage. And one of the video footages that really grabbed my heart was watching these two young men, as many of you have, walk down the street with a backpack on their shoulder and showed him setting it down between a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and casually walking off. And I thought, wow. And that was really an overwhelming thought. And it was an overwhelming picture for me, and maybe for many of you. But the one that really grabbed me was when they showed another shot of this young man. As the bomb was exploding, and people, the overwhelming spirit of America wasn't necessarily running away from the bomb, but into it. As people began to run into the destruction and chaos to rescue people. 
as people were running for their lives and some running into it, this young man had a picture of him just casually walking down the street as if taking a Sunday afternoon stroll through the city park. And I thought, wow, how does that happen? How did they get there? And so I began to think, man, I tell you what, we need to rebel against the devil. We need to rebel against that. As my wife and I were discussing this sermon this week, she was like, well, you know, you're rebelling against the devil. That's just a given. And it is that we ought to want to rebel against the devil. But if it is a given, then why do so many people struggle with it? And so I want to share with you an interesting passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. It's an awesome passage in chapter 4 and verse 1. It starts out by saying, therefore, since we have this ministry, this new ministry, this new life, this new direction, that God has given us. It goes on and says that we have received mercy and we do not give up. Would you underscore that in your Bible? We do not give up. We hold on to. We believe in the principle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We rely on the principle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We do not back down. We do not let up. But we persevere. And then it moves on in the next verse, and it begins to show some interesting thoughts in verse 2. And here's what it says. Instead of, we renounce the shameful secret things. Not walking in deceit. Not walking in distorting God's message. But in God's sight, we commend ourselves. We commend ourselves to everyone, every person's conscience. Look, circle that word in your Bible, their conscience. Their conscience by an open display of the truth. Now skip down with me if you would a couple of verses. Here's where we jump into this thing in verse 3. But if in fact our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Regarding them, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ, who is the image, the image, the picture, the essence of God. Father, give us direction in your message this morning. God, give us a powerful word today. Please, Father, don't let us leave this place the way we came in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How do you rebel against the devil? How do you rebel? it? We sang the song, the demons run and flee at the mention of his name. Well, one good way is to keep the name of Jesus and ever present in your life. But what are the symptoms? What are the tactics that the devil uses? Well, one of the things that we must rebel against if we're going to walk in victory and have victory over this, this, this bondage that we find ourselves in is that we must rebel against spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness. For you see, Jesus Christ came into this world and he is the light of the world. You remember in the message last week, we talked about he, we are the light of the world, we are a city upon a hill and no man lights a light and then places a bushel, a uh, basket over it. We looked at that last week and how God wants us to be the light shining into the darkness. He wants us to be the salt. He wants us to be the thing that makes the difference. We must rebel against this spiritual darkness. The Bible says right here in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, regarding them, the God of this age has blinded them. Has blinded them. We're not very customary to this anymore, but you know, some of you in this building, you can remember a generation where, uh, uh, you remember a time where they didn't necessarily use tractors to plow the fields. They used animals. And most of these animals would have blinders placed on them. 
Also, in the times before that, when they would use carriages to, for people to travel to and fro down the highways, they'd put blinders on those animals because they didn't want the, the animal to see any of the scenery around them. Now, I, I'm, I wouldn't have done well because I, I see everything. I see everything as I travel. I'm a looking at them all over the place. And that's what they didn't want. Because if they would see something, they would get their attention. It could cause catastrophe. It could cause failure. It could cause a, uh, not a train wreck, a carriage wreck. And so they'd place these blinders on the animals so that all they could do was look straight ahead. And they could only see what was before them. And I'm going to tell you, that's how it is in our life. That's how spiritual bondage starts, is that we begin to focus on only what it is that we see before us, and we have these blinders. And before long, the blinders start out on the side, but then they come over in front of our eyes, and we're no longer able to see before us. And the blindness begins to be overwhelming. The book of Acts in chapter 26, it gives us a passage of scripture with this. In Acts 26 and 18, it's very interesting. Here's what Isaiah said thousands of years ago, that our job is to open the eyes, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to what? The light. And from the power of Satan to the power of God. That they may receive forgiveness of their sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith. Who are set apart by faith. We must rebel against this blindness, this spiritual blindness, because it's overwhelming. What is the definition of blindness? Let's look at it a little bit if you don't mind this morning. I always like to just look up simple words and find out what they mean. Because it really grabs me a lot of times. Maybe I'm just that simple. But uh, I really, I know what it means to be blind, but when you look at the dictionary definition of it, look at what it says, unable or willing to discern. Unable or willing to discern or judge. Unquestioning. That could better be classified as blind loyalty. Someone who has blind loyalty and they don't ever ask any questions. Go back to the, my illustration at the beginning. Those two young men who had their whole life before them had blind loyalty. They had an unquestioning, unwavering faith to a God who said, I have not died for you. I need you to kill and be killed for me. Unquestioning. Blindness. Look at this next definition of, of this, of what blindness is. It goes on even further. It's having no regard, no regard or no rational, no, not, not just having no rationale whatsoever. Discrimination, guaranteed, I mean guidance or restriction, lacking or directing or lacking a direction or clear judgment in your life. What it means to be blinded. Today, if you're going to have victory in your marriage, if you're going to have victory in your home, if you're going to have success in your life, we must on a daily basis guard against the blinders because when those blinders come on, we can only see one thing. And what normally happens is the God of this world begins to veil our eyes to the truth of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and God's plans for our life. And all we begin to see is what He has before us. And may I tell you today, my brothers and my sisters, not just upon the Word of God, but upon personal experience and trial and error in my own life that all the devil has is a counterfeit he does not have the real deal I have chased after enough of his fool's goal in my life to know that I may think I have the treasure in my hand only to find out that I'm the fool who has no gold 
and he begins to place those blinders on our eyes that all we can see and we'll begin to throw everything away around us. We'll begin to pass by the God-sized plans and visions for our life because all we see is what's before us. Today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know on the authority of the Word of God that God has a plan for your life. God has a destiny for your life. And that destiny was purposed before you ever were. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1, while, I, while you are in the mother's womb, I formed you, I fastened you, I set you aside. Today, today, my dear friends, Jesus didn't end up with, God didn't end up with a baby. Jesus didn't end up with a baby and say, oh my goodness, I need to come up with a plan. He had a plan and you came along. And it hadn't even entered into your mind what God has in store for you. We can't comprehend it. Why? Why, Pastor? Why are you saying I'm not that smart? I'm not that sharp of a guy? No. The Bible says as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways, so are his thoughts above our thoughts. God doesn't have some Mickey Mouse hairbrain idea in store for you. He has a perfect will for your life and a perfect plan. And we must cast off those spiritual blinders so that we can grab hold of it. If we do not cast off those spiritual blinders, the next step is spiritual darkness. Because those blinders begin to come in and cover our eyes. And when they come in and cover our eyes, all of a sudden we can no longer see what's before us. Listen to what the Bible says right here in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. It's an awesome passage of scripture right there in the heart of our text. For God who said, God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. He has shown it in our hearts and gave us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. God who said that out of the midst of darkness, the light would shine. The light would shine. Have you ever noticed that some nights are darker than others? Have you ever noticed that some nights seem longer than others? Well, my friends, today what I want you to understand is the Bible says in John 3 and 19, yeah, we love John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world and he gave the world that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But we forget John 3 and 17, for God, for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. There's a theology out there today that says, oh God, there's no God of love because he's come to judge everyone. I want you to know that Jesus came the first time when he came and wrapped himself in swaddling clothes and was lying there in a manger. He came with a perfect plan, a perfect will to redeem mankind. He came to lay down his life on the cross. Christianity is the only religion where the God said, I will die for you. Yes, God demands judgment. God demands justice. But he became the priest and the sacrifice. Oh my goodness, what a Savior. So that we who were once afar off, who were we, we who were enemies of the cross, could be brought near by that blood of Jesus Christ. Today, the Bible says this is a condemnation that men have rejected the light because they love the darkness. Today, when we think about this, blindness gives us false hope. It gives us a, fa a false doctrine. A false doctrine gives false hope. And a false hope gives a false future. A false future. Someone asked me one time, they said, Pastor, an intelligent person, an intellectual, we were talking about Christianity and salvation and the simplicity of our faith. He said, what if you have devoted your whole life to Christ, to traveling the globe, to preaching the gospel, and this God doesn't exist. 
I said, well, if he doesn't exist, I've lost nothing because I have a wonderful life right now. I said, but let me ask you a question. What if he does? What if he does? I said, you've lost everything. You see, my brothers and sisters today, that false hope, that false doctrine gives a false hope, and a false hope will give a false future. If we continue to walk in the darkness, the darkness will break us. But I want you to know the darkest night has the light. Have you ever heard of the harvest moon? It was called the harvest moon because at a particular time of the month, the moon would be so bright that before there was lights, before there was tractors, the farmers could continue harvesting way into the hours of the night because there was so much light. As a matter of fact, there's so much light when this happens that you could be driving down the road and you can turn your headlights off and keep driving. Because there is so much light. Now, I wouldn't advise that. Because some certain car you may pass may want to pull you over and give you an award for doing that. But you could. You could do it. Matter of fact, we had one of these moons not long ago. I remember walking out there and just saying, wow, it's so bright. It's so bright. Do you know what's interesting? That in the midst of the darkness, the bright of the moon shines, and that moon begins to shine so bright that it illuminates all the darkness. If you don't get rid of those blinders, you'll never be able to see the light. I don't care how bright the light is. If you have blinders over your eyes, all you can see is blackness. You know what's interesting about the moon? Pastor Ken, the first advice you ever gave me that really changed my life, really grabbed hold of me, we was going through a difficult storm. We was going through a difficult storm in the church that I was pastoring, a difficult days. Pastor Ken came into my office and he said, Pastor Brad, I want you to know something, that all God wants you to do is be the moon. Because you see, the moon has no light-giving power inside of itself at all. All that the moon does is reflect the sun and what God wants to be in our life is he he wants to be he is the sun and he wants us to be the reflecting agent that would let the light shine back into the world but in order to do that what must we do we must remove the obstacles I mean think about this just because the moon is not in its full glory it doesn't mean that the sun is any that it has lost any of its brightness what happens at that particular juncture is that the earth begins to move in, the, in between the moon and the sun and the earth begins to block what? The light. If we're not careful, those blinders will come into our life and those blinders will continue to block the light. And when we block the light, we can no longer see clearly where we're going because it begins to be dark. Oh yes, I realize that if you walk in darkness long enough, your light, your eyes will adjust to the darkness. But I want you to know something else. That your eyes may adjust to the darkness, but you're not running full speed ahead, are you? You're not even walking at a brisk pace because you're feeling your way. Oh, you can see obstacles when they get right here. That's spiritual darkness. We must deal with those spiritual blinders. We must deal with those spiritual that spiritual cloud of darkness because if we don't deal, if we don't rebel against that darkness and we don't rebel against those blinders, it will train wreck our life. I've been pastoring for almost 16 years. 
And in 16 years, I never had anybody come in my office and say, you know what, Pastor? I got up this morning and I thought, man, I went, I went to bed last night and I was a hot heart for Jesus. And I, I woke up this morning and I thought, man, I'm done with this. I'm not serving this Jesus guy any longer. Never had that happen. In all my years of pastoring, I've never had anybody come in and say, you know what? I woke up today and I thought, wow, this is a good day for an affair. I've never had anybody come into my office and say, hey, pastor, you know what? I woke up this morning, never thought about this before in my life, but I thought, wow, what a day to try out homosexuality. I never had anybody come into my office, period, and say I've killed somebody, so I wouldn't know they just don't wake up one day and say, well, today's a good day to kill somebody. It's a journey. How does that journey begin? It begins with blinders. We begin to see only one thing. We begin to see the problem. We begin to see the overwhelming power of the problem. But I want you to know today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have to see the overwhelming power of the problem. You can see the overwhelming power of the cross. And the cross is sufficient. Jesus Christ is our sufficient, sovereign Savior who has the power to give us victory through every area in our life. Yet then if God be for us, who in the world could be against us? What then shall I say shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. We must make that decision to remove that spiritual darkness, to remove those spiritual blinders, because if we don't, you will have a spiritual numbness come into your life that will train wreck your life. I normally don't. do a whole lot of lecturing the Greek meaning of the words, but I want to show you one. I've come to realize that usually when pastors use Greek words, they're mostly trying to impress themselves, but sometimes they have deeper meanings Most a lot of times. I want to show you one in the book of 1 Timothy. Turn with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to show you a passage of scripture here. Now the Spirit explicitly says... That in latter times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons, through hypocrisy of lies, whose consciences have been seared. You circle that word seared in your Bible. That's the word that I want to talk to you about. If you look that word up in the Greek, seared. It's where we get our word cauterize from. What does it mean to cauterize something? Stop the flow. Cauterize it. When you cauterize something, you no longer feel the pain. What happens is a spiritual numbness will come into your life if you do not deal with the blinders. The blinders will lead to the darkness. The darkness will lead to a numbness. How in the world, how in the world can two boys who had their whole future ahead of them wake up one morning, throw a backpack on their shoulder, and march into a crowded city and casually set a backpack down between a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and casually walk off and have no remorse because they have been spiritually cauterized. Their consciences have been seared. They have been branded they have been branded by the enemy. There's been stories of people who uh, lose feeling in their feet. That have been close to a heater. 
and they actually end up burning their foot, and they never even knew their foot was burning because they couldn't feel it because they had become numb. There's been stories of, of, of people who have had strokes and their, part of their face would become numb. And the family member would, who was with them would always have to say, hey, wipe your, wipe your face right there when you're eating. you got some food on your face. Because it's numb. They just can't feel it. They don't know it's there. And what happens in our life if we do not rebel against the spiritual blinders that the devil wants to place on our lives, it will bring us down to a pathway of spiritual darkness. And if we do not rebel against the spiritual darkness, it will lead to a spiritual numbness. And our life will be branded. Our life will be branded by the lifestyle that we lead. What does it mean to sear something? What is it? it means to mark it. To mark it. I want to show you this picture. It's interesting. I said, what in the world are you putting that in your sermon for? Because you see very carefully on the right flank of that animal, there's a brand there. That brand is our family brand. It's branded and numbered. That animal has been set apart. It's part of our herd. It's part of our, our place. And if we're not careful, if we don't reject the darkness, we will be branded and set apart as someone who is contrary to the kingdom of God. You can take that down so people don't have to look at a cow while I'm preaching. But what does it mean? It means that you, the, the outer flesh has been burned, it's been marked, it's been sealed. And I want you to know today that you do not have to be sealed by the forces of darkness because you can be sealed with the Spirit. You can be sealed with the spirit of a holy God who loves you so much that he said, you don't have to die for me. You don't have to put your life in jeopardy for me because I came and I put on the robe of flesh and I walked down here in this sinful world. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be thirsty. I know what it's like to be mocked and ridiculed. I know what it's like to have friends turn their back on you and walk away. I know what it's like to be tempted in all points yet as you are but without sin. I know what it's like to face the full wrath and the judgment of a holy God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become His children. I'm telling you today, you do not have to bear the mark of the devil. You can bear the mark of a child of God. There's hope. There's transformation. Early 1900s, you know, it was serious business to steal animals or steal horses. They'd hang you. Forget calling the marshal. Just call the lynch mob. They'd hang those dudes that would steal horses. Branding was very popular because it set apart the man's herd. So if they brought animals in and they would be there, they would say, well, that, that animal has somebody else's brand on it. There was this guy who had stole some, some sheep. And they called him because of an, un, an unmarked brand that he never saw. The guy had kind of a hidden mark. And so they called him instead of killing him because it was just sheep. Here's what they did. They branded him. They branded him and on his forehead they placed two S's. Right there. It stood for sheep stealer. So I'll fix that dude. Walk through town. Everybody know he's a sheep stealer. 
However, a few years later after that, he found Jesus Christ. It totally, radically transformed his life. And after several years had passed, matter of fact, several decades, people had forgot what that man had done. And they no longer looked at him as a sheep stealer. And all the kids began to say, that must stand for super saint. And when he died, his life had a whole new meaning with an old, with an old brain. I want you to know today that you may be walking with spiritual blinders on. You may be walking in spiritual darkness. You may have even moved to the category of being spiritually numb. I want you to know that you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. But what the devil meant for evil, God How in the world could two boys walk into a crowded area and kill innocent people and then steal a vehicle and say, hey, let's go to New York and do the same thing? It's because they rejected the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They followed an ideology, they followed a religion, they followed a false doctrine that gave them a false hope that has given them a false future. Today, maybe you're here and you find yourself in that category. Maybe you find yourself walking with blinders. Maybe you find yourself kind of becoming uh, compromising. You're no longer selling out, kind of like Kim said about Gandhi. He said, Matter of fact, Gandhi went on ahead and saying, said clearly, I would have become a Christian if it weren't for Christians. Maybe you find yourself dancing around with that lukewarm spirit. I want you to know today that Jesus paid it all for you not to do that, but to walk in victory. Maybe you're not in that situation. Maybe you're stronger today spiritually than you've ever been. I tell you what, I bet you everybody in this place knows somebody who used to love God, who used to have a hot heart for Him, and today they're lukewarm. Today they're moving around with blinders on, or maybe they've moved to the next category, and they even have, they're walking in spiritual darkness. They're doing things that they would never do before. Someone was talking to me yesterday about someone that used to be sold out for Jesus. And today that person is making such crazy decisions. And we was talking about what a tragedy and how heartbreaking it was. And I said, you know, the tragedy is the person that we knew, the person that we loved, the person that we walked with, that person doesn't exist anymore. Because they've become numb and have taken on a whole new direction in their life. If you continue to reject the light, you will become numb. And you may no longer feel the Spirit of the Lord drawing you. The Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. My last point is this. The devil brings spiritual blinders. He brings spiritual darkness, spiritual numbness. But Jesus brings a spiritual victory. At last verse, verse 7, says, Now then, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the excellency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean a lot to us. But back in Jesus' day, they would take these fake earthen, these earthen vessels. Everything was an earthen vessel. Clay pots. And they'd put fake bottoms in them. 
and they'd put their treasures under the false bottom. So that when the robbers came, they would look in the bottom of the earthen vessel and there would just be a, uh, it would be empty. They all did that. You know what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, today it would look a little bit differently. It would be like, uh, I've seen them in stores. It looks like a Coke can sitting up on a shelf, but you can open it, put your money, your treasure in it. That way when the thief comes, he just thinks it's Coke. There's all kind of bread loaves. Put your treasures in the bread loaves. And so what Jesus was doing, he was giving them an analogy, and he said, you know how you have your, your jewels buried in an earthen vessel that's made of dirt on the potter's wheel? He said, now you have this treasure in your earthen vessel, the power, the presence of my Holy Spirit. Lift up your heads from whence your help comes from. The glory of God will rest in you. Don't leave here without a treasure, the royal diadem of heaven in your earthen vessel. He wants to totally and radically transform your life. Take all your junk and make them into jewels. Because he is. Jesus Christ was green before green ever was. He's a great recycler. He will give you mercy instead of judgment. He will give you grace instead of your head bow today. Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I believe in this building there's people that fit every category. Lord, I believe right now people that's watching at home, Lord, they, Lord, I believe they find themselves in one of those categories as well. But God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for liberating power in their life. Lord, the only thing that separates the sun and the moon is the obstacles of the world. So I pray that they would shuck those off, Lord, throw them down and come running to your mercy seat. Lord, maybe there's a mom or a dad in here that has been praying, and Lord, they've been discouraged, and they've been about to give up. I pray, Lord, that you would fan the revival of their prayer life, that they wouldn't give up on that wayward child. They wouldn't give up on that wayward daughter, Lord, but they would believe in and cling to your unchanging principles of grace and mercy. Lord, would you let this be a revival? Start today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet today.